Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 10th of March. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined today by CEC Leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Robbie. In this week's CEC Report, Glass-Steagall most terrifies two big to fail banks. And what are our derivatives addicted banks hiding? So first, I'll special welcome again, Craig, to Aurora viewers. This, is, this should be their, their um, third episode of the CEC Report. Uh, welcome again to our Channel 31, Channel 44 viewers, and of course YouTube viewers. Um, we're off the air on, in Brisbane now, Craig, and Channel 31's just been yanked off the air. So any Brisbane viewers of this program, uh, you can find us on YouTube. Yeah. Become a subscriber on YouTube. YouTube is the way you get this program most up to date, uh, most current when, when, we, when we prepare it. You just click subscribe on the YouTube button and it's all free and you can watch the program straight away. Um, and the other thing I'll say before we get into it, as we usually do, anything we cover in this program, you can usually find elaborated in the CEC's weekly magazine, the Australian Alert Service. So you can call in and get a, order a free copy of that if you haven't had a free one before. Um, and you know, keep up to date with the details. We, we, we try and give you the details, but we're, we've got a short time span. Um, so the, the real detailed stuff's in there, call in and get a copy. I think, Robbie, also it's important to mention, we can email that alert service out to people so they don't have to wait for the post. That's right. It's, you, can get, you can get an email subscription of a PDF version of it. All right, so that said, let's get into it, Craig. Glass-Steagall banking separation most terrifies too big to fail banks. And we've just had a couple of dramatic developments this week, Craig, but one has just literally just happened. Um, every day the White House has a press briefing for the, for the media, and by now most Australian viewers will be familiar with this person, Sean Spicer, who's Donald Trump's spokesman. So today, um, Sean Spicer was asked by a journalist about whether Donald Trump will work on with Bernie Sanders, the US Democratic Party Senator, on Glass-Steagall mm. and whether Donald Trump supports Glass-Steagall. So let's just watch the video of this exchange. Going back to the meeting and to your opening statement about the banks, mm -hmm. uh, in the last campaign, candidate Trump campaigned hard on restoring the Glass-Steagall Act, which would put a barrier between commercial and major investment banks. It, of course, was repealed in 1999, uh, and the repeal signed by President Clinton. Um, Senator Sanders campaigned on this as well, noted that it was in the Republican platform in mm -hmm. Cleveland, and said in December he'd be happy to work with the Trump administration on restoring Glass-Steagall. Uh, is there any plans for the president to meet with Senator Sanders and is repeal of Glass-Steagall on his agenda? There's no current schedule to meet with him. I'm sure that, as he has done with several other members of Congress um, from both sides of the aisle, that at some point that will be scheduled. We don't have anything on the books for now, but um, look, he's shown, and I think today was, an, or yesterday was another example, today another example of his willingness to reach across the aisle, his willingness to look into both chambers and um, you know, and not just business, but labor unions and other industries where we can find common ground. And I think if, if Senator Sanders and others um, want to work with the White House on areas of, of ways that we can improve uh, the financial industry, we're going to do that. And so. still committed to restoring Glass-Steagall? Yes. 
So, Craig, that's an interesting exchange. And it's, the other thing's interesting about it is Sean Spice has answered a question on this before. It was from one of our associates in the United States who asked it then. This particular um, questioner, John Gizzy, is not anyone that we're associated with. So people are paying attention. What is this issue here? Now, Sean Spice's reply was very um, direct, just straight out, yes, Donald Trump is committed to his support for Glass-Steagall. Um, what's interesting is the reaction to that, namely on the market. So Financial Times, which is the, sort of the chief financial publication in London, it rushed an article onto its website reporting this because bank stocks actually went down on Wall Street in the stock market as soon as this, uh, on the back of these comments. Um, the, the Times said, this is their, this is their quote today, uh, they, they, the headline was, bank stocks slip as White House confirms intent to revisit Glass-Steagall. Quote, financials don't seem too happy to hear that bringing back Glass-Steagall is still on President Donald Trump's policy to-do list. In response to a question on Thursday about whether Mr. Trump remains committed to a campaign promise to revisit the Great Depression era law, which prohibited commercial deposit holding banks from engaging in riskier investment banking activities, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer said that he was. US bank shares trimmed their advance on the back of Mr. Spicer's answer. The S&P 500 Banks Index, which tracks the largest American lenders, cut its gain to 0.5% from 0.8%. And that's not surprising to us because banks are terrified of this. Yeah. Well, Robbie, look, I think for many of the maybe newer viewers to Aurora, what we're talking about here with the Glass-Steagall is a very important law that was brought in by Franklin Roosevelt in 1933. Now, we're a political party, and when we go out in the street, we start talking about the banks. Yep. And nearly every person says, look, these banks are out of control. Someone's got to do something about the banks. Well, this law with Glass-Steagall does something about Did the they? banks. And the reason it does something about the banks is because for the last 30 years, actually, and longer, we've had a, a systematic approach to the deregulation of banks, where banks become more and more powerful uh, in the sense that they've been allowed to speculate more and more with depositors' funds. Now, in 1933, you know, Franklin Roosevelt had the same problem uh, with the banks then, that they'd caused a Great Depression. And what he said is, well, we can't have a commercial banking system and a necessary legitimate banking system allowing itself to be ex uh, allowing a depositors' funds to be exposed to all the sorts of uh, really speculative investments that were happening at that time. And, and those speculative investments are wild. What, they, what banks get up to when they speculate is ordinary people, their ears would curl. Yeah, so he passed a law at that point which became known as the Glass-Steagall law, which said, okay, commercial banks are not allowed to be associated with investment in merchant banking. They were completely broken up and separated. Total separation. No cross-ownership, no shared directors, nothing. Two different, completely different banking systems. So when you have a look at the big four here, Robbie, you see National Australia Bank, for example, or Commonwealth, all the major banks, their insurance broking houses, their, their merchant banks, their investment banks, their savings banks, their trading banks. We call that vertically integrated. And the idea is that you take out the trading commercial bank aspect of the bank and you have a separate board that runs the boring banking yeah. business of loans, of mortgages. And that's where and our money is. That's where all the ordinary people put their money. Biz bank businesses do their banking there, write their checks out, whatever. And so all the speculative stuff like merchant banking, investment banking, which has access to people's deposits, is cut completely yeah. off. Yeah. And that's why they're screaming. Yeah. is because that's where, because of things like derivatives, which are just basically gambling debts is the best way to describe them, 
the banks can't use depositors' funds in order to gamble with them. Now, Craig, we're going to talk about this more in the next episode, next segment. But just to follow on from that, there's been another development on the Glass-Steagall front, therefore, in the home of casino banking, mm -hmm. which is London. Because there's a, big, there's a lot of support for Glass-Steagall in London, but it is the home of casino banking. It's the biggest financial centre in the world. So anyway, also this week, a petition has been um, given the go-ahead on the British Parliament's website calling for the British Parliament and the government to pass full-scale Glass-Steagall. The petition um, says, I'll just read it to you, pass full-scale Glass-Steagall to break up the city's too-big-to-fail banks. Right, and then it, it elaborates out. The reason this is news is because there was an earlier attempt to put up a similar petition which the British Parliament knocked back. Mm. And um, so the, the people in the UK that have put up this petition had to go and reword it not for any other reason than to get around the fraudulent excuse that the Parliament used. We won't go through now for the time we have, but it was a fraudulent excuse we covered in the press release at the time. But now this is a live petition in the UK. Any Australian viewers of this program who are British citizens, and apparently, according to statistics, there's 1.2 million of you, <laughs> if, you if you're a British citizen and you support Glass-Steagall, go to our website um, where you can find a link or go to the British Parliament's petition site. You can sign this petition yourself. Because here's the thing, if Donald Trump and the Democrats like Bernie Sanders, who are the opposites on everything, but if they can find common ground on Glass-Steagall in the US, there's similar um, bipartisanship in the UK. People, you know, total, total political opposites. Jeremy Corbyn and the leadership of the Labor Party on the one hand, and Margaret Thatcher's Chancellor of the Exchequer, Nigel Lawson, the guy who deregulated the banks, on the other hand, who now regrets what he did on this, in, in this area. Um, that political groundswell of support, which the majority of ordinary people support it, right? if they know about it, they support it, that can deliver this change and put these two threats to the world financial system, London and Wall Street, which what they do is a threat, and we're going to deal with that more in the next episode, put them on a leash permanently through this law. Right, so... Because, Robbie, I think it's important to mention is that for the last four years we've been on a campaign to stop the international financial uh, bankers, the Bank of International Settlements and others, through their Financial Stability Board, yeah. from stealing people's deposits through a process called bailing. In order to prop up these in banks. Order, so when a bank gets into trouble, instead of being bailed out, like it has been in the US and other places, they can literally transfer people's deposits, like was done in Cyprus in, I think it was 2014, uh, and literally take people's money. Now that's the alternative, yep. and people are absolutely. That's what the about system that. has come up with to keep banks propped up, in order to avoid Glass Steagall. Yeah. Don't stop the banks doing the risky stuff that gets them into trouble in the first place, which Glass Steagall would do. Let them keep doing that and give them this buffer, which is our money. That if they do it and get in trouble, I just take your customers' money and keep yourself going that way. Yes. That is a crime any way you cut it. This is this is the way the financial system works at the moment. Yeah. So. We have the power to stop this. Yes. Right. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about this derivatives question related to Australia. Welcome back to the CEC Report. What are our derivatives addicted banks hiding? So, Craig, as we discussed before the break, Glass-Steagall is the solution to this sickness in the financial system which you identified as derivatives. So let's just talk about that in an Australian context because 
the more we look at it, the more alarming this picture gets. Australia has a terrifying financial problem and its name is derivatives. Now, the gro- we'll explain it, so stick with us. <laughs> a member of the Banking Committee of the Parliament once said to me, Craig, can you tell me what derivatives are? So if you're a viewer and you don't know what derivatives are, we'll try and do justice to an explanation, but don't feel bad, right? Members of the Banking Committee of our Parliament have not known what these are. The, the, the issue here is the growth, right? Um, what you, you, you know, when you're doing any kind of scientific analysis of anything, you're looking for changes, and then you look at rates of change, and when you see rapid, rapid, rapid rates of change, you say, hey, something is going on. Just, Robbie, just before you go on, people should have in mind gambling debts. Yes. Pieces of paper that are worthless, actually, because they're not connected to anything real, that are being swapped backwards and forwards for money, that are built up to these huge piles of derivatives. Well, and here's a and here's a definition, right? We'll jump around on our notes a bit here. Thanks. Now that you've mentioned that, here's a definition: derivatives are financial bets on interest rates, currency exchange rates. You know, the dollar versus the pound, etc. Stock market or financial market indexes, all kinds of financial markets, right? And combinations, very complex combinations of all of those. And a, and a bunch of other things thrown in as well. But they're like the, they're, they're the, the biggest vo- volume of these things, right? And they've got all sorts of names. And I'll give you some names. So there's futures and options and swaps and strips. And then before the glass financial, financial crisis, we learned names like mortgage-backed securities, collateralized debt obligations, CDOs, synthetic CDOs, and credit default swaps. So those are names of derivatives. Now, you don't know, you have no idea what they are, we could spend hours explaining all the different ways. What just, we'll do is we're going to play a clip. I was just going to say, Rob, before you do, some farmers know about derivatives in yeah, terms yeah. of futures. And this is where you enter into a contract that in six months' time, you are going to sell your crop of wheat for a fixed price, say $350 a tonne. And that's great if, if it all goes well. So you've got a contract, but you haven't got the wheat yet. No, no. Right, you, so you, you're, you're basically looking at, quote-unquote, insuring into the yeah. future about a product that you don't have. Now, that's very good. If you get a good quality crop of wheat, you can sell it in six months' time and you get a price at $350 instead of, say, $200, it works in your favour. But if you have a frost and get wiped out, you still have to supply that wheat at, uh, at that price. Yeah. So if, if you, that means that sometimes farmers are forced into having to buy wheat, which yeah. they haven't got the money for, in order to provide for those contracts. So they go two ways. So, and, and what Craig has just described there is the most simplest type of derivative, which is one step removed from the underlying reality of a transaction of wheat for money. You remove it one step and you've got this futures contract. Derivatives now that dominate the system, they are 10, 20, 30 steps removed. So what's this clip of... Uh, from the movie The Big Short, where a celebrity named Selena Gomez explains a particular type of derivative, just to give you a flavour of what these things can be, and they're explaining synthetic collateralised debt obligations. Well, here's Dr. Richard Thaler, father of behavioural economics, and Selena Gomez to explain. Okay, so here's how a synthetic CDO works. Let's say I bet $10 million on a blackjack hand. 10 million because this hand is meant to represent a single mortgage bond. Okay, Selena has a pretty good hand here, showing 18, dealer showing seven. That's a really good hand for Selena. Good odds. In fact, her chances of winning this hand are 87%. So, my odds are good. 
I'm on a winning streak. Everybody in this place wants to get in on the action. How could I lose, right? Now, this is a classic error. In basketball, it's called the hot hand fallacy. A player makes a bunch of shots in a row. People are sure they're going to make the next one. People think whatever's happening now is going to continue to happen into the future. During the real estate boom, markets were going up and up, and people thought they would never go down. So people who are watching and think that I won't lose will make a side bet. Now, this is the first synthetic CDO. I love Selena Gomez. I bet you 50 million she wins. And I'll give you a three to one odds. Three to one odds? Okay, I'll take that bet. Now, somebody else is going to want to make a bet on the outcome of their bet. I bet you 50 million she wins. That will lead to synthetic CDO number two. Hey, I bet you 200 million that lady in the glasses wins that bet. She probably will win. So I want a great payoff. How about 20 to one? deal. And this will go on and on with more and more synthetic CDOs. And we can transform an original $10 million investment into billions of dollars. You okay? No. I actually feel pretty sick. So, Craig, what you got there is it's not just gambling on gambling, which that clip illustrates, but look at the size of the bets. Mm-hmm. They get orders of magnitude greater each time, and that is also a hallmark of this industry. And that's why derivatives, in when they count them up, they count them in the hundreds of trillions, and unofficially, but more accurately, they are in the thousands of trillions, like one to two, 1.2 to sometimes people say maybe even two quadrillion dollars. Right, so now let's take a break and talk about why that, what's do, what it's doing to us here in Australia. Welcome back to the CEC report, where we're discussing what are our derivatives addicted banks hiding. So we're going to talk about the derivatives in Australia's banks now. I'm going to put the figures in perspective, and I'm going to get. On the screen, we're going to put up the website for what's called the Debt Clock of Australia, and you're going to see lots of figures ticking over, and I'll highlight some of those figures. So federal government debt is around $540 billion. Gross domestic product, which you can see on the screen there, is $1,685 billion. So that's $1.685 trillion. That's our total economy for the year, as measured as GDP. Compared with that, Look at this graph the CEC keeps track of, of total Australian bank derivatives and the growth of them. They are now at $36 trillion, right? GDP is 1.6, total Australian bank derivatives is $36 trillion. And that growth, look at 2014, 2008, sorry, when the crash happened, they were at 14 trillion. Mm-hmm. They have gone up 100, more than 163% since then. So let's look at the big four banks. And we've prepared this chart, Craig, which which will be on the screen as well. But what you have in this chart is the derivatives every year, the disclosed derivatives of all the big four banks. And the red line is 2008, when the crash happened. And what happened after 2008 is, whereas you can measure most of the rest of the world in derivatives for a while there they plateaued mm-hmm. and they've actually it's only recently they've started going up again a bit um our banks went on a gambling binge they're addicted to it yes, right. absolutely off the chart 
and really rapid rises, right? Like maybe the next year, 2009, they, they, they stayed steady and then shoo, shot right up. And frankly, when I look at the entire Australian economy and how poorly it's been going, there's only two things in the Australian economy that keep that justify bank profits. And that's the property bubble and this, mm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but we're now running into a, an alarming problem because we knew that in 2012, our biggest bank, CBA, Commonwealth, stopped disclosing its derivatives. That's, a, that's, an, that's an indirect way of saying started hiding its derivatives. They'd had the most rapid increase before they stopped. They just shot right up and then suddenly they stopped disclosing their derivatives. So we've marked in grey where maybe they might be. And the reason we've marked that in grey is because it matches National Australia Bank, right? That's where National Australia Bank got up to. And lo and behold... That's why they've stopped because of our graphs? Well, <laughs> yeah, you can't put it past them. We're the no, only ones highlighting this in right. the banking sector. But National Australia Bank, lo and behold, when we looked for their last lot of figures for the last financial year, bang, they too suddenly, as of 2016, have started hiding. And we're talking about figures of what? $36 trillion. 36, that's unbelievable. Yep. That's, uh, what, that's nearly 20 times greater than the Australian's GDP. This is the notional capital value of these instruments that are continuing to grow no matter what. They don't go down. That's another question. No one can answer the question is why don't these things go down? Well, well then, Craig, if you put, if you put um, deposits, map deposits on this well, chart, you barely see them. Yeah. Right? We'll, in fact, we'll, we'll, do a graph, we'll show a graph of that that shows the last lot of figures we do have. The deposits barely rate of mention and the assets also are dwarfed by these. So this is basically bets. This is financial paper. It doesn't actually have anything to do with the real economy. No. This is the nature of the global financial system, Robbie. Is, you know, 1.2 to some people say two quadrillion dollars of the derivatives. Deutsche Bank, that people may have heard in the news, is in a lot of trouble, has one of the world's largest holding of these, uh, these fictitious bets uh, in derivatives. So this is what the Glass-Steagall is designed to deal with. Now, Craig, in 2014, I was part of a delegation with a top Japanese banking expert to Canberra. We met with the Treasurer's Office. And Mr. Tony Pearson, who was the NAB's chief economist, Joe Hockey's chief economist, who was then Treasurer, and now he's back as NAB, in a discussion with this banking expert from Japan and us, said to us this. He claimed, oh, there's nothing to worry about with Australian bank derivatives. They're just plain vanilla derivatives. That's what he called them. And he said, he made a ridiculous analogy. He said, have you ever bought an airline ticket? Then you've bought a derivative. Well, because, because you buy a ticket for a future trip. Sorry, um, that is nuts. Because even if, you, even if you convince yourself they're plain vanilla derivatives, that does not explain this growth rate. Why are our banks going zoom off the chart like this? I'm going to put another graph on the screen now, which is the amount of lending banks have done into the Australian property market since 1991 and the growth of it. It's gone from 20% equivalent GDP to now 95% equivalent GDP. That's the type of thing that derivatives are designed to, to um, uh, reduce the, or pretend there's less risk involved. You can buy derivatives, contract sale. That's not risky lending because we've got these derivatives on the side. That's the only thing that matches here. But all these add up to, we're heading to a mess and Glass-Steagall's it. Well, that's the only thing. You've got to, we've got to go back to regulation of the banking system. They're addicted to gambling. And therefore, the government has to step in and say, no, we're not going to have this anymore. We have to protect our banking system. And that's what's at risk here. So join us, guys, in this fight. We've got a petition on change.org. We're fighting hard for Glass-Steagall. Call in and get a copy of the alert service to help us. And thanks for tuning into the CEC report. Mm -hmm.